Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Andrew, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 95 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. And no one else. Nobody. Just us this time. We do not have any guests, but if I can sort of tease forward, as is my want. Go on, tease forward. Yes, we have a special guest at the end of this episode. But Toby, how are you? How have you been? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I'm recording this from lovely overcast Rancho Palo. Verdes um, at my sister's house. We're house-sitting for them. We're taking care of their three chickens that eat bugs and poop all over the backyard. Do the chickens have names? Yeah. Do you know them? (laughs) (laughs) They certainly do have names, Andrew. Anyway, there's three of them. Uh, and we take care of them. No, it's it's quite it's quite the change for us because we live in a teensy tiny apartment um, in Echo Park usually. And this is, uh, I can't describe to you how large this house is. It has like real haunted vibes. It's set into a hillside. So like there's a downstairs corridor where at night, if you turn the light off, you like it's so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's really cool. There's lots of bugs everywhere. But you have the chickens for that. Uh, no, but they only take care of the bugs outside and we do not let the oh. chickens. That's like rule number one taking care of chickens andrew you don't let them inside the house come on now i thought you just couldn't feed them after midnight or get them wet that's grickens grickens yeah you buy those in chinatown from a racist stereotype ah ah yes i know i was mixing something up How about you, Andrew? How you doing? I'm good. I, too, am not recording from my usual place, my home apartment. Um, I'm in Maine right now, where I've recorded before, so nothing new and exciting like chickens. Um, <laughs> but Jillian and I are on the hunt for a wedding venue. Ooh. So we came up, quarantined for a bit, and are now uh, peeking around all the farms and venues and all kinds of good stuff that Maine has to offer. And then we're going to do the same thing in Seattle to get a little bit of flavor from where both of us came from. And we'll we'll figure out who wins. Yeah, you, you heard it here. You- heard it here first uh pejo's east coast versus west coast the showdown of the cold and wet locales and we definitely want to frame this as whoever gets the venue in their uh birthplace wins because that's a healthy dynamic to start a marriage yeah wins the marriage yeah i mean it's good to establish who the winner is in the marriage really early yeah, no questions after, <laughs> after that first, first day. I want to hear a big boom as Jillian kicks down the door and declares that it's happening in Seattle. I win! <laughs> I win! That's how Louise wakes me up every morning. She just yells, I win, into my face. And, you know, it's like White Rabbit. As If you say it first, then that's it. Exactly. But White Rabbit, but every single day of your life. <laughs> you know, it just was, it's what keeps the relationship alive. The spirit of competitiveness. Oh, man. So, Toby, I actually have a question for you. Oh, yeah? I was, you know, creeping on Goodreads, as one does. <laughs> I was actually trying to see if anyone I um, knew had also read A Brief History of Seven Killings. Turns out no one has. So thank you, all my friends on Goodreads, for not being helpful. And I noticed that you are currently reading, like, eight books. And I was fascinated three. by that. Three. Because, eh, three or eight. <laughs> Andrew, eight is when you put the two threes together mirrored. And you make them hug. An eight is just a, a hugging, two hugging threes, as they've always said. Guys, it's not a math podcast. We're moving on. And I was just fascinated by that because I, while it technically says that I'm also reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell on my Goodreads, I haven't touched a book that wasn't for the to read list <laughs> in months. So I'm wondering how you are able to even approach balancing reading for fun when you're also reading for business which is the business of this podcast (laughs) yeah a very serious business indeed um no it's i always have i think i've mentioned this before i always have two books on the go um one audiobook and one physical book and 
that is usually like my go-to scenario. And I think actually a lot of people uh, I've talked to have that kind of deal about how they read. Now, you kind of caught me out. Um, (laughs) I think at the moment, my Goodreads would say that I'm reading The Baron and the Trees, um, which again, no longer reading because I finished it for this podcast, I promise. How recently did you finish (laughs) it for the podcast, Toby? Uh, We're going to leave that in the realm of the names of the chickens and move on. (laughs) Uh, I would also say I'm reading Carrie by Stephen King. And I'm also reading uh, Exhalation by Ted Chang, uh, which is a collection of short stories that I'm very much enjoying. Truth be told, uh, I I usually only read two at a time. I got distracted. um, And I'm sure our listeners can relate to this. I was going to visit my parents and the edition of Carrie I had was this enormous three volume set of Stephen King novels. And I was like, I'm not putting that in my backpack because I travel like a 12 year old child. I'm not putting it in my backpack. So I'm going to take this slim, sexy volume that I picked up uh, from a public place, (laughs) Dylan and Bailey's apartment building. Um, I'm going to take it with me. It's cool. It's caught my interest. So I don't know. The answer is, is that I read two at a time all the time. And uh, the three that you see before you there on my Goodreads uh, are a falsehood. So really, I'm only reading two. Carrie, uh, I was enjoying, but I got tempted away by Exhalation, which is really great. I really highly recommend it. I almost wish I had put it on my list for the two read list so I could cover it, but I am bound by two read list law and uh, that's, I'll say no more of it. Well, I mean, you've snuck it in, so you've sort of broken the law, but we'll let it slide this one time. Okay, that makes me feel better because I saw that on Goodreads and just sort of (laughs) thought less of myself as a human. Um, Because again, while it says I'm reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, I have literally read the first chapter, enjoyed it quite (laughs) a lot, and then not touched it for two months. The same thing was true of a couple books that I have like been able through this podcast to knock off. Like Mm -hmm. uh, for the longest time, it said I was reading Station Eleven and it said I was reading The Wind Up Bird Chronicle, both of which I've since been able to cover, but they had been stuck in limbo. So it feels good. It feels good to not be as bad of a person as I thought I was. You you know, like I, I don't know. I've heard, I feel like I've heard vague amounts of shade being thrown in certain parts of the internet about people like me uh, who like multi, you know, who have two books on the go. Um, and I have to say, I'm maybe I'm a little envious sometimes of just dedicating all my mental energy to one book. Um, so you know what? Respect. So I think what we've learned here is that no matter what you do, there's a different way to do it. And that way is going to seem better. <laughs> and you're going to feel worse about yourself. And that's another two read list lesson from Toby and Andrew. Except I'm going to say something right now that, inviolate, that invalidates all of what we said before. And that something is I win. So sorry, Andrew. Oh, no. I didn't expect it, but it's so true. Oh, you forgot to say it. It's so harsh. Let the record state that if you say you win, you win no matter what. Well, Toby, I I have to take my hat off to you. You did win. And as your prize, I think you should tell us uh, what book you read the last two weeks. Oh, grazie, grazie. Oh, no, he's gone full Calvino. Um, I read The Baron and the Trees by Italo Calvino. Trees, trees, trees. Trees, trees, trees. Russell, Russell, Russell. Um, Allegory, allegory, allegory. Uh, So here is my log line, which is actually two sentences. The Baron in the Trees by Italo Calvino tells the story of Cosimo, a young Italian nobleman who makes an impulsive decision to live his life entirely in the trees that blanket the countryside around his family estate. A much more straightforward story than the more famous works by Calvino, like Invisible Cities or If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, the book examines the way that small decisions can harden into immutable values and how absurd someone else's highest priorities can seem to those outside their circumstances. Hey! 
tight log line. Thank you. So I need to preface my entire review kind of with the reason why I chose this book. I put it on my list. As I mentioned, I think in our last episode, I have read two other Calvino books, arguably his far more famous works, um, which is Invisible Cities and If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. And if you are not familiar with them, I'm going to give you the Wikipedia summary of If on a Winter's Night a Traveler to give you an idea of what those books are like. So here's a Wikipedia summary of that book. The postmodernist narrative in the form of a frame story is about the reader trying to read a book called If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Each chapter is divided into two sections. The first section of each chapter is in second person and describes the process the reader goes through to attempt to read the next chapter of the book he or she is reading. The second half is the first part of a new book that the reader, you, finds. The second half is always about something different from the previous ones. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It, that hurts my brain, man. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of famous uh, in in like postmodernist literary circles. Um, it's very mind bending. It's extremely hard to follow, but it's also really beautiful and surreal and and just kind of one of those like endless mirror reflecting a mirror where, you know, like you get you go into the bathroom and all of a sudden there's like a thousand of you staring at yourself. It's that kind of reading experience. Anyway, that's that's that book. Invisible Cities is kind of like he describes a series of bizarre, fantastical cities um, and talks about parts of human nature as it relates to those cities. But it's also very fractured, highly surrealist. So those are the two that I've read. And so that's kind of, I really enjoyed them. I can't claim to really understand them entirely, but I really liked them. So having read two of those in that vein, I did what I think a lot of people do. And I was just like, cool, I'll just look for the next most famous book by this guy and put it on my list. And so that was The Baron in the Trees. Now, The Baron in the Trees is um, an earlier work and it is, it's just a, it's a far more straightforward work. You know, the logline might sound bizarre, um, but compa- compared to If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, it is very straightforward. It is actually a story that follows this character uh, from when he's a young boy to his death. Uh, and, and kind of chronicles his life in which he decides to live his life in the trees. So even though that sounds weird, much more straightforward. I mean, I often wish I could live in trees. So I relate. Uh, so it was, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I kind of discovered that this book wasn't going to be a surrealist, I was a little bit let down because I was all hyped up for the surrealism train. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Sorry, I was going to let that pass, Toby. But heck, yeah, get on that surrealism train. <laughs> get on that surrealism train. It goes upside down and everyone drinks hamburgers. And sometimes it's not a train at all. Sometimes it's just a bunch of hippos holding each other's tails. <laughs> so, yeah. So so I was honestly a little bit let down. I was excited to board the surrealism train and it never left the station. Um, but I quickly got over that. Um, I was definitely taken in by this book's really lush, beautiful prose, which is something that's you know present in all of his work. And so I have an excerpt here um, of just some really beautiful writing. There is the moment when the silence of the countryside gathers in the ear and breaks into a myriad of sounds, a croaking and squeaking, a swift rustle in the grass, a plop in the water, a pattering on earth and pebbles, and high above all, the call of the cicada. The sounds follow one another, and the ear eventually discerns more and more of them, just as fingers unwinding a ball of wool feel each fiber interwoven with progressively thinner and less palpable threads. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, the book is interwoven with lots of lush descriptions of nature and 
you know, the beautiful Italian countryside uh, like that. And so that was kind of my way into this book. And then from there, I kind of want to jump right into my orcs and elves, because again, I think I can cover a lot of what I feel about this book in those things. So my elves, like I said, beautiful writing. Truly, uh, Calvino is an, is an incredible writer. This is translated from the, from the Italian, but I really enjoyed my translation. Yeah, he just has a real mastery of language. And, a, and he's a natural storyteller. Um, you know, he takes this on Honestly, when you read the logline for this book, it sounds like something that would be a short story, or at least it did to me. And it was hard for me to imagine how it could be spun into an entire book. But he does it really well. Um, and it's a it's a charming tale. Like there's humor and there's adventure and there's romance. It has everything. One of my like top things about the book is that he really goes into how um, Cosimo lives in the trees, as in how he practically functions. So I liked, uh, I thought of this, which is basically like, imagine Robinson Crusoe if you liked him. Like if he was a good person. So Cosimo uh, invents all these things. Like he invents this like vertical sleeping bag made out of fur and he figures out how to hunt. He has like a Dotson that like lives on the ground but loves him. Um, and he basically does everything that a normal human does, but in the trees. And he has all these special inventions and special ways of thing of doing things. And it's clear that Calvino put a ton of thought into it. And it's all very practical and cool uh, and really, really fun to read about. And, uh, and yeah, that's, those are my elves. Ooh, that's a short <laughs> list of Yeah, elves. it's a short list of elves. Oh, no. So my orcs are kind of like, it's like a blurry orc. It's like a hard to visualize, an orc in the fog, if you will. Yeah, so this, I mean, this book, I really enjoyed it, but I never, ever found myself drawn to listening to it. Um, I listened to it on Audible. It just, it, it was very, very 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 slow it had this kind of it started out seeming like it was going to be a family drama but then it quickly switched into a kind of meditation on this guy's life and it's one of those things i could never put my finger on it you know he has adventures he does exciting things but it's all presented in a very beautiful but unengaging way um and i think that you know, I might be in the minority of this. This book is highly rated. People really love it. And to be honest, sometimes I felt like I wasn't engaging with it philosophically as much as I could have. So it could be part of my reading experience. Um, but overall, the slowness of this book really, really took away from my enjoyment of it. There's all those things. And there's also the thing that it's kind of framed by this thing that Calvino does where the story is told by his brother, um, by Cosimo's brother. And it seems like kind of a clumsy device to kind of avoid going really deep into Cosimo's head. And it has that weird thing where it's like, well, his brother is telling the story, but then for like many, many pages, the brother disappears and we get to hear like the interior thoughts of Cosimo and the interior thoughts of the characters he's speaking to. So... It just seems like he's playing pretty fast and loose with, uh, you know, what person he's working in. And yeah, you know, the, it just, I, I didn't love that part with the brother. And then overall, I can just see why this is not one of his most famous works. Um, it definitely feels like an early work. It definitely feels like he's on his way to playing with crazier and crazier ideas and getting up there, so to speak, into the, the far reaches of stuff like If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, which is truly, truly crazy. And I enjoy those much more. And they are acknowledged as better, more complicated, more interesting works. So yeah, those are my orcs. Those are my elves. If this book intrigues you, read 
if on a winter's night of traveler, just go for it. <laughs> um, I just, I, Calvino is well known by a lot of people, but I feel like he's not super widely read. And I, and if on a winter's night of traveler, it's quite short. So give it a shot. Why not? Uh, but maybe if you really, really love that, and then you read Invisible Cities, and you want more, sure, give this one a shot. I'm giving it three stars, <laughs> and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna leave it in the audible. But uh, if I ca- if I had it on my shelf, you know what? I'm a pretty brutal shelf editor, and I think this one would probably be donated to the library. Oh dang! Yeah. Sorry, Italo. Sorry, Italo. Hey, well, sorry you didn't like it more. But I'm glad that um, you've explored an author and like gotten to see sort of his evolution as he got more confident in his style, which I mean, to tease my facts a little bit, was a struggle for him. Ooh, yeah. I know nothing about uh, Italo Calvino's life, really. Honestly, fascinating guy. I'm, I am not surprised. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that. Um, tell me facts about Italo Calvino. Please, please, please. I will. You don't have to ask me twice. Here we go. Um, so Italo Calvino was born... Where do you think Italo Calvino was born, Toby? Italy. That's right. Havana, Cuba. What? He was born just outside of Havana, Cuba on October 15th, 1923 to Italian parents. Everything I know is a lie. Um, his parents were Italian. Uh, his mother named him Italo because they wanted to remind him of his heritage, even though he lived far away from Italy. It was a great idea. What? However, before he was two, they moved back to Italy and (laughs) he didn't like this name for the rest of his life because it felt too nationalistic. Can you imagine? I mean, that makes total sense. It's like, what if you were named America? This is my son, the United States of America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it would. It's pretty wild. However, his parents were not super uh, nationalistic. They were actually quite uh, liberal for their times, quite uh, sort of modern thinkers. They were both botanists who taught agriculture and floriculture at Mm. universities and also did a lot of research and things like that. In fact, that's why they were in Cuba um, to do more research. But yeah, uh, his father actually received distinction, some sort of uh, merit from the Italian uh, government for bringing exotic fruits like avocado and grapefruit to Italy and like making them able to be cultivated there like wildly scientific wildly not artistic <laughs> um, <laughs> just like botany central over at the calvino um estate botany central this is this is the surrealist express pulling into botany central station <laughs> i mean we joke but it really was botany, botany central over there they, they they had an estate in italy so he grew up um in sort of upper middle class world um and they they grew all these trees and he got to explore this sort of wild flora that shouldn't have been in the italian countryside and that's actually part of what inspired the baron in the trees because yeah. he spent a lot of time with his brother just sort of you know kicking it around this like wild the wild grounds of their house i mean in the book um it's funny because it's not the main character's yard, so to speak, that has all the crazy trees in it. But literally next door, he kind of encounters this young woman who helps inspire him to live his life in the trees. And her family does exactly what you just described. Like they cultivate all these exotic plants. So that's definitely ripped from the headlines of his own newspaper that he printed himself. Yeah, he wrote his own newspaper and then he ripped from the headlines like (laughs) a thief. (laughs) Like like a thief of headlines. Um, His parents wanted and encouraged Italo to be a uh, man of science like them. And he initially went to university in Turin for for agriculture, passed a lot of exams, but his heart wasn't really in it. Uh, He ultimately broke away from the family's scientific background and started studying literature. His brother didn't break away and he became a very successful and famous geologist. Hmm. Um, So there you go. During World War II, which if you're doing the math about him being born in 1923, he's right about early soldier age in, in World War II. 
Mm-hmm. Um, with the blessing and encouragement of his parents, Italo joined the Italian resistance. Um, he'd actually been forced to fight in the invasion of France uh, for Mussolini's side, but he he mm. left that, went into hiding, and joined the Italian resistance. Um, he used the nickname Santiago as his like nom de guerre. He didn't use the nickname España. <laughs> that would probably have been better but yeah he fought against the fascism in italy he spent most of the war in the alps trying to you know survive and do whatever he could to to undermine mussolini his parents were actually held hostage as a result of him sort of uh deserting and as a result of this uh Mussolini's black shirts and Nazis uh, like took over their villa and apparently on three occasions a soldier pretended to kill Calvino's father in front of his mother to try to like I I don't know exactly the motivation I'm assuming to try to get information but like wild wild stuff that's crazy yeah however they all survived the war uh, including his brother so they all made it out to the other side and like just a wild beginning to a life because this is all happening before he's like 22 whoa yeah After the war, he finished studying. He studied literature. Uh, He began writing and working as a journalist, which he actually did for the course of his life in different capacities. He continued working on as a journalist. He also became very active in the Communist Party in Italy, working on their leadership, going to the Soviet Union to research what was going on there. As a journalist, he got to interview Hemingway, who was actually a hero of his. Um, And his first novel, which is called The Path to the Nest of the Spiders, was published to great acclaim. And a follow-up book of short stories was also really well received. So he starts hot. (laughs) But, and this is where sort of the weird format, the weird form in his like changing and evolving style comes in. He had these initial successes and then he started to keep writing. But he kept writing realism, which just like wasn't doing it for him, apparently. He, over the course of seven years, wrote three novels that he didn't publish. I don't know if they exist anywhere. I couldn't actually find that. I don't know if you can read them, but he's just like, the article I was reading said they were deemed defective. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a bold thing to say about a novel. (laughs) Yeah, I just imagine someone with a big stamp. Defective. No. This book will explode if you read it. However, somewhere along the lines, he just sort of let himself use fantastic elements and use that surrealism and use those different elements. And in 30 days, he wrote his next book. And so seven years for three books, 30 days for the next one that he actually liked, which was called The Cloven Viscount. Um, and it establishes future style. He began producing work quite quickly, including The Baron and the Trees in 1957, which you're right, was one of his earlier works. One of the first things he published after his follow up. And yeah, definitely before his more um, audacious works. Hmm. <laughs> so your diagnosis was correct, Dr. Toby. I diagnose you with surrealism. Now take this egg and wear it as a hat. <laughs> Can you tell that I know what surrealism is? <laughs> yeah, you definitely, you got it. <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, it's it, it, that could be surrealism. <laughs> He continued working as a journalist for most of his career, and he actually ended up leaving the Communist Party after Stalin invaded Hungary. Mm. Uh, He was disillusioned with the party, never joined another political party, uh, though he did later meet Che Guevara in Cuba, and he wrote a tribute to him after his death. In 1964, he married Esther Judith Singer, who he called Chichita, um, (laughs) and who he remained with for the rest of his life. Uh, They had one daughter, Giovanna, in 1965. He continued publishing work until his death in 1985 of a cerebral hemorrhage. His work was well-received, and he was given many awards. He got so many awards to the point he got to where I wish I could be, where he (laughs) had gotten so many that he rejected some because he didn't respect the organizations that were giving them, (laughs) which is next-level ballerdom. MacArthur Genius Grant? More like MacArthur Idiot Grant. Call somebody else. I'm sorry, sir. That was in Italian. I didn't understand. Do you want the award or not? <laughs> um, 
When he died, he'd been prepping a series of lectures uh, for a residency at Harvard. They were published under the name Six Memos for the Next Millennium, and you can read them now. And that's uh, an overview of the life of Italo Calvino, an author who I feel like I should check out. I think I mentioned this before, but um, he, the only thing I've read of his is this book that he collected where he was trying, he was given the task of trying to like gather Italy's version of the Brothers Grimm. So he like hmm. combed all these records and found these Italian folk tales that he like wrote up in his style and published. And it's this amazing book. It's giant, but it's a lot of fun. And I actually want to give credit to listener um, Claire, who showed that to me and some other campers at a summer camp I attended. Um, she's she's friends with Bailey, and I, I know she listens to the podcast. And to this day, it's on my shelf. It's one of my like favorite things to to revisit. Man, that sounds awesome. I want that book real bad. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely check it out. It's just called Italian Folk Tales. But yeah, so that's that's our our buddy Italo. All right. So uh, to sum up, uh, incredible writer, uh, won so many awards that he ended up uh, turning them down. And I gave one of his books three stars and said I wouldn't keep it on my shelf. Andrew, did you read a book this week? You know what, Toby? I did. Oh, wow. I read A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, 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 bang. Oh, yeah. That's seven for those counting at home. There was, oh, there were seven of them. <laughs> There's lots of bang of many different varieties in this book. Oh, a little wordplay. Which makes it hard to talk about on a clean lyric podcast, but mm-hmm. we will try our best. Um, so here's um, my attempt, and maybe when we get into the, re- the review, we'll see how kind of hard it is to summarize this, but this is my attempt at a logline. Set in Jamaica in the late 1970s and sprawling out over years and other countries, Marlon James's epic novel is akin to tracking the ripples in water after a stone breaks its surface. The stone in this case is an attempt on Bob Marley's life in 1976 by a group of gunmen, and we follow a group of narrators to see how this act of violence came to be and what it caused. Ultimately, A Brief History of Seven Killings is a book about violence begetting violence, the bulldozing impact of politics on the people in need of support, and the Jamaican perspective on a world that often thinks of their country as little more than a vacation destination. Very nice. Sounds, I mean, it sounds like a pretty easy book to summarize to me. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely one or two, only one or two narrators definitely (laughs) doesn't try a bunch of different forms throughout it. Uh, Is it about anything? Is it about everything? It's tough. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to review this book, sort of similar to Toby. Honestly, I had a, a, a similar experience to this that you had with Baron in the Trees and that I don't really know how to talk about it more other than saying a few things I liked and a few things that I had trouble with. Mm-hmm. Um, because to try to encompass the plot isn't necessarily helpful because often the plot isn't that important. Um, it's more about sort of the people and it's more about seeing how they develop and, and how, they, how they evolve. I'll start again in the classic style with my elves first and then move on to some orcs. Uh-oh. Look out, Marlon James. <laughs> well, look out if you don't want to hear a compliment, because my first elf <laughs> is that Marlon James, is, is he's a wonderful writer. He packs mm. power into his sentences, and he's a master of making bold choices that um, can create emotion or tension or just sort of stakes within a scene that is only based on like how he's arranging words on a page. Mm. That's probably like the highest compliment I can give a writer, that his like work demands emotion from you, which is great. Dang. The book switches between a ton of different narrators. It's sort of the style. So each chapter for a lot of the book is like seven to ten page bursts. And the narrators range from American reporters, white racist CIA operatives, to tons of people who populate Jamaica's um, ghettos and uh, the like dons. At its core, it's sort of like a um, crime novel about 
the like warring factions in Jamaica's ghettos in the late 70s. So you get mm. a lot of that perspective. And then you also just get some random outside perspectives. You might even get a dead guy's perspective. You might get several dead guys perspectives. Spoilers. I mean, it's literally the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, because uh, that's the only chapter I read. Spoiler Ooh. alert for my life. I abandoned this book. But yeah, I mean, honestly, we, we can get into talking about that in a little bit because that, I mean, I can see why people struggle with this book. But their voices are really honed. They do a good job delineating from each other. Like, there weren't too many narrators that I had trouble deciding between because he does make choices for each of them that make them, like, easy to to latch onto and like. I mean, mm. to tip one of my orcs, something that is, like, inevitable in those bu- books like this that have so many narrators, some of them I liked more than others, you know? Yeah. One, I really had trouble with the CIA guy. I really liked a couple of narrators, um, in particular, Nina Burgess, uh, Papa Lowe, and Weeper were three of my favorites. But yeah, like the CIA guy and sometimes the reporter, they can grind their gears a little bit. It's tough. It's tough to make that balance. It's not afraid to be experimental, which I like. Uh, it means that anything is possible in the book, which is it's sort of a fun way to approach a book. If you know that anything could happen, you're not going to make any conclusions. Yeah. And I'd like to do just one quote that I really liked. Uh, This is on page 269 in my copy, which is the um, mass market paperback. It's the beginning of a chapter by Sir Arthur George Jennings. God puts earth far away from heaven because he can't stand the smell of dead flesh. Death is not a soul catcher or a spirit. It's a wind with no warmth, a crawling sickness. Oh boy. And yeah, if that grabs your attention, you might really love this book. Again, he's an amazing writer. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was amazing. I'll say a couple of other things and then I'll get into the orcs. It's a story that I had never really experienced. I haven't read a lot of um, literature about Jamaican people or Jamaica in this era. So it was good to get a great to get a story I had no priors on it. This is sort of tipping an orc as well. But once the foundation of the book is established, which is about 300 pages in, the book really clips along. Um, (laughs) That's about half the book, right? Yeah. Well, I was so worried I wasn't going to be able to finish this book. But then I got like halfway through. And honestly, it flew by. I was shocked. Mm. So credit to James for that. And then one last thing I'll say in the elves front. It's the closest a book has ever come to naming an exact place I have been that isn't famous. Um, He name checks an address in Bed-Stuy, which is literally two doors down from where Jillian lived for three years. To the number. One of the characters, the the reporter character lives there. And I was like, I have never gotten that close, like, (laughs) to being in a place where a book took place. That character's name? Billion Jeth Durkee. Oh, no. Uh, And then weirdly, like, 10 pages later, a bunch of action happens literally a block away from where I first lived in New York to the street. It's just funny. He names, like, two locations in Brooklyn, and they're both places one of us has lived at. Andrew, it's time we told you, Marlon James is constantly following you around doing that thing where he moves when you move so he's always behind you i'm sorry i didn't tell you before now it's okay i I, i've been feeling like someone's watching me for so long i'm just glad to have an answer yeah there you go um now to move on to my orcs it's nearly 700 pages it's a big book yep and when it's nearly 700 pages, you really need to feel engaged from the get-go, and I just wasn't. And that's why I'm not surprised to hear that you put it down, and I'm not surprised that a lot of people struggle with it. Yeah. Because, honestly, the first 250 to 300 pages, I could see the merit of, but I just had trouble making it click in my head and, like, needing to read that next chapter. Yeah, this is probably one of the most abandoned books I know because of the exact reason you just mentioned. I mean, I abandoned it because I soldiered through the first like 20 or 30 pages and I was like, oh boy, 
no way. Like 700 pages of this, no way. Not that it was bad writing at all, but I was exactly what you say. Like it was not pulling me along. Rather, I felt like I was kind of wading through it. And yeah, and I liked it, but I didn't like it enough to to do that much waiting. Yeah, no, waiting is like a really good verb for for my experience reading those first 300 pages. <laughs> I mean, again, partly this is because there's so many narrators and like when you connect with them, it's great. When you don't connect with them, it's a little tougher and it's experimental and it's fun. And what it gains from being experimental isn't completely offset by what I'm about to say, but it like the book sometimes feels more like an examination than a story. Mm. which is interesting and definitely has merit. But like sometimes in a book that long, if you're not really grabbing forward on the plot or not everything feels necessary to advance the plot, it just, no matter how good the examination is, you kind of are like, well, but what's it for? Because, mm-hmm. and that's again, more strong in the, in the first half of the book because that central plot, basically it spends a lot of time leading up to the attempt on Bob Marley's life. After that happens, the book flies. Mm. The 300 pages up to that, that's when it's rough. And then just one last thing I want to say, this book is full of violence, senseless violence, violence that doesn't feel good to read about. It's not a bad person is getting hurt or it's not somebody's getting hurt and then you can see how it's going to like impact the story forward. There's just like death. And I think that's not a criticism in the sense that I don't think books should have that and that I don't think it's important to this story. But, you know, in the world we're in right now, that just didn't connect with my brain and it sort of was abrasive for me. Yeah, fair enough. And again, that's not a, yeah, it's not bad. It's just like, sometimes you're not in the mood for that, no matter how well it's done. But like, I think the body count in this book is... Seven? Oh, no, it's way more than seven. (laughs) It's probably in the 200s. Oh my God. And I mean, obviously not all of those are named characters, but it's definitely over 100. It wouldn't surprise me if it got to 200. And, you know, just sometimes you can't read that and feel engaged because at some point you have to tune out a little bit. But yeah, what I want to say for my rating is it's a three star book for me just because like I loved a lot about it, but I was just sort of, yeah, I was stuck in that sort of waiting situation trying to get through it. Yeah. But I loved his writing and I would love to read more of what he wrote. I'm going to keep it on my shelf for a little bit. I think I might end up seeing if anyone wants to borrow it or something like that, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a year or so and see if I feel engaged to, to, to look at it again. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Tell me, uh, you got any uh, factoroos for me? Oh, I'm just... Factoroos are spilling out of my pockets. Oh, boy. Uh, um, I'm like an old grandma giving out factoroos. That doesn't make any sense. Marlon James uh, was born the 24th of November in 1970 in Jamaica. He's written four novels, John Crow's Devil in 2005, The Book of Night Women in 2009, A Brief History of Seven Killings, which won the 2015 Man Booker Prize, and Black Leopard, Red Wolf, which was published in 2019. He lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S. now, and he teaches literature at McAllister College in St. Paul. He is also a faculty lecturer at St. Francis College's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing. So, James was born in Kingston, Jamaica, to parents who were both in the Jamaican police. Oh, wow. That's a weird dynamic for this book if you've read it. Yeah, I can imagine. His mother, who gave him his first prose book, a collection of stories by O. Henry, became a detective, and his father, from whom James took a love of Shakespeare and Coleridge, became a lawyer. Uh, Marlon James attended Kingston's prestigious Woolmer's Trust High School for Boys. He is a 19. 19- 91 graduate of the University of the West Indies, where he read language and literature. He says he left Jamaica to escape homophobic violence and the economic conditions that he felt would mean career stagnation. And he has this quote about leaving, quote, whether it was in a plane or a coffin, I knew I had to get out of Jamaica. 
Wow, that's, I mean, that's so interesting if you contrast that to like the events of the book. It makes me feel bad about saying anything critical because it's to write this book with that background, it just takes a skill and, and adroitness that is wild. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad that you said that. Uh, it's interesting because I, like I said, I've abandoned both books I've tried by Marlon James, um, but I have listened to his podcast and I have immense respect for him um, as a person. Um, so he has a podcast um, that's a literary podcast uh, with his editor, Jake Morrissey. It's called Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. And it's kind of casual conversations. Basically, it's like, imagine if this podcast was like by people who were like much better read and much more famous than us. The couple of episodes I listened to with them exploring works in the fantasy genre, and I found it really illuminating. And like their depth of knowledge about that subject was incredible to me. So yeah, if that that podcast sounds interesting to you, I would definitely check it out. Nice. So the rest of this is from an interview that he gave with GQ. GQ asks, the book never refers to Bob Marley by name. He's just the singer. Marlon says, yeah. But wait, Marlon, Marlon, don't lie. Bob Marley is mentioned by name in this book. <laughs> oh, GQ not doing their research. GQ asks, why did you decide to keep him off stage like that? And Marlon answers, one, I didn't want it to overwhelm the story. And also, certainly by 1976, he was already a symbolic figure, even in Jamaica. He was an international icon. When he got shot, most people didn't even know he was in the country. I wanted to sort of define him by what he symbolizes. It's just like calling someone the prophet, I guess. Marley was different in terms of what he meant than what he was. GQ asks, what else would you say your work is engaged with? And Marlon answers, I'm really interested in how non-American countries process race. In Jamaica, they say it's class, not race, which is utter BS. If it's not race, then Jamaica has had the most unfortunate series of coincidences in modern history. I tried not to fall into Caribbean stereotypes. None of these characters will appear in Cool Runnings. And I'm interested in taking this perspective and applying it to other areas of American life. A bit like True Detective. Same format, multiple characters, 20 years. I just use a whole different set of people. Um, yeah, and then here's my last um, bit of research and an interesting question that actually I don't know if you alluded to in your review, but the, a lot of the book is in like vernacular, right? And dialect. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of the narrators. Uh... Yeah. Um, so GQ asks, were you concerned in using a lot of dialect that you might put readers off? And James answers, I've never had problems with American readers. It doesn't surprise me that the first reviewers that have criticized the language were British reviews which has struck many people as strange because between Jamaica and Britain, there's still a post-colonial thing. It's still pretty pronounced, just not with me. There are compromises to make. A lot of time I'd spell things in standard English instead of phonetically because I want people to understand what's going on. It's also very lyrical. And the great thing about lyrical prose is even when you're not totally sure of words, you can be swayed by the musicality of it. Which is one reason why a lot of people, were they to read Bob Marley's lyrics as poetry, they would not understand what the hell he's saying. But a lyricism will mean people will end up getting it. I thought that was a lovely, like an indicator, I think, to the complex nature of this book. Um, you know, like his, the form seems to follow the function, right? You know, he's trying to yeah. get something across that is very complex and he's doing it with a complex work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great facts, Toby. Thank you. So again, A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. Three stars for me. We'll keep it on my shelf. Awesome. And here we are at that place again. At that, at that, uh, dear Pedro, settle yourself down into this part of the podcast. This dangerous part of the podcast where Toby plays a solo game and hopes to survive. 
Yeah, last time my very bodily safety was at risk uh, in a contraption that I believe my uncle had built. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. The solo games are a little tough, so I tend to just put you at mortal peril. Mm -hmm, Uh, This mm -hmm. time is no different. Your uncle last had you in a spaceship that needed correct trivia answers to advance. This time? Yeah. It's a little different. Uh, I just want to say to the listener at home, uh, Andrew made me FaceTime him and he's just holding a knife. So like, you know, just to put a little spice into the experience. Exactly. Uh, And the name of the game this time is Tree Killing. Oh, God. (laughs) So, okay, okay. I'm going to start you off with a scenario and then we're going to see if you can survive. As all games are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Candyland where they, they say, like, you have a poison in you that only the king of Candyland can cure. <laughs> Precisely. How did you know next week's game? Um, <laughs> now, here we are. Tree killing. You wake up dazed in a clearing of trees with a note pinned to your chest. It says simply, real trees or real consequences. Confused, you get up and try to find your way out and back to the campsite you've been staying at with your friends for your bachelor party. Oh, yeah. So you woke up after a night of partying. You're in this okay wooded trees with a note that says real trees or real consequences pinned to you. Okay, I love this already. You stand up and walk towards the only path you see out. Almost immediately, the path forks. There's a sign that says pick the real tree or else. I roll a perception check. You got one, so you have to keep playing the game. No. (laughs) Each path has an arrow pointing towards it. The left one says pin oak. The right says iron oak. Mm. You laugh it off and begin to take the path to the right. You accidentally kick a rock forward and the rock rolls a few feet ahead, which to your surprise triggers a gigantic bear trap in the ground. You shouldn't have gone right. You head back to the left, safe from the bear trap because the rock triggered it, and realize the pin oak was a real dang tree. (laughs) <laughs> so, Toby, here's how it's going to go. Oh my, is, is this a one mistake and the game is over game? Because we're using bear traps as the danger, you get two mistakes because you can hobble forward with one of your legs <laughs> in a bear trap. <laughs> yeah, I would, by the way, me and my friends, we had our bachelor party in the emergency room. So here's how it'll work. Uh, you only have to get four correct because you cleared the, fifth, the first one, which was number five, uh, by okay. accident. By the way, I would have guessed... That iron oak was <laughs> what's the real tree. So we're up to a roaring start. There you go. So I'm going to give you two trees. One of them is real. One of them is fake. If you pick the one that is fake, you get bear trapped. And again, you can survive one bear trapping. Got it. Okay. All right. Here we go. I will take this opportunity to say that faithful listener of the podcast, my aunt, Elise, runs a business, a tree trimming business with her husband, John, who is one of the foremost arborists in the state. So if I get these wrong, it'd be very embarrassing. Continue. All right, here you are. You're at that first path. To the left, there's a sign that says Tiger Elm. Hmm. To the right, there's one that says Blue Spruce. Do you go left or right? Tiger Elm or Blue Spruce? Uh, Now, Blue Spruce sounds too much like Spruce Goose. So I'm going to say Tiger Elm. Great. So you take a few steps forward, and your left foot is in a frickin' bear trap, Toby. You're down to one working leg this soon. Blue spruces are real, and they're very pointy. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, you know, I let out like a blood-curdling scream. Uh, I I kind of like scan the woods for who would do this to me, Um, but then I hobble forward. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So you hobble with your foot in a trap to the next fork in the road and the options are to the left bog birch or onto the right silver oak bog birch silver oak where do you go you're losing blood by the second so you'll have to choose quickly <sighs> okay this is the the only two allowed fails is pretty brutal yep 
I'm going to say bog birch because it sounds real. You step forward each second terrifying to you, <laughs> but you make it to the next clearing because bog birch is correct. That is a real type of birch tree. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So you're at the next clearing. The fork in the road is slippery elm to the left, southern dogwood to the right. Slippery elm or southern dogwood. Uh, it's slippery. It's slippery elm. That's like a it's like a, a home remedy. That's correct. Yes. You take those steps forward. You're getting real woozy with this bear trap yeah. on your left leg. I, I lament that slippery elm, I think, is for your throat and not for the ailment of having a bear trap connected to your leg. There is a different tea for that, but it's just oolong. All right, but you're here. You don't know okay. it, but this is the final break in the path. You're bleeding heavily and you see your last two signs. To the left, ice maple. To the right, hot wings maple. Ice or hot wings? That's your decision. Okay, hot wings maple sounds the less like a real thing. So I'm going to say hot wings maple because I know there's a bunch of crazy named maples. And you know what I do? I take it at a dead sprint. Great. You sprint forward, (laughs) running with every ounce of energy you have left in you, and nothing gets you. Yeah. You make it into the clearing. You see the tents that your friends are at. You fall down forward, bleeding still heavily, but triumphant. And your friends say, you made it back. And we have some hot wings here. Happy bachelor party, Toby. We love you. <laughs> and, I, and I say, oh, man, I knew I shouldn't have been best friends with eight surgeons. And then I give them my leg. <laughs> and they fix it up for you and you have a great time eating hot wings. Yeah. While incredibly sedated. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow wow that was uh what a great game andrew i you know what i'm i i feel bad i think the solo games that you've made up for me are my favorite ones so that brings us to the end of today's episode but we did um before we get to the choosing tease that we had a special guest we did yeah and uh she's here now uh and she has a little message for you and i think uh we're just gonna play it for you right now Just kidding, the special guest is me, Bailey. I bet you've missed me. I hope you have. Um, (laughs) I'm excited to be back on the podcast next week with my beloved husband, Dylan, and I'll be discussing book 129 off my list. The book is called White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. It is a haunted house book, I think, I'm pretty sure. The author wrote Boy Snow Bird, a take on Snow White a few years ago, and I hear really good things. This book I got from a book exchange through Silent Book Club, so I'm excited to read it but most of all i'm excited to be back on the podcast with toby and andrew and with all you listeners so see you then that's right bailey is coming back and she's already picked her next book what boom boom bailey's got a book bailey's coming back and we don't have to do this alone anymore i'm really relieved i'm really relieved and man can we make them edit maybe we will we will see oh god we're stuck <laughs> in this song okay listeners it's time for the choosing so we are both still going to get new books next week i will be reading toby is going to get a episode off because we're going to make him edit mm-hmm. but we will still give him his assignment now so toby are you ready i am ready are you excited i am excited I'm excited for you because I think you're really going to dig it. All right, here it is. Firing up the random number generator, and it lands on number 61, Witches Abroad by Terry Pratchett. Oh, yes. What an easy peasy one. Uh, Talk about something I don't need a month to read. 
Fantastic. These are very digestible. Um, Terry Pratchett, for anyone out there who doesn't know, um, this is set in his very long and very great Discworld series. And he has kind of mini series inside of the Discworld series. And I think this is a uh, part of his Witches series. Here we go. It is Discworld number 12, but Witches number three. There we go. Yeah. And I've, you know, uh, I think it's acceptable to kind of do what I've done, which is just kind of pop around in the series. You know, there's 43 or 45 Discworld books, and I've read probably a dozen of them. Uh, But yeah, if you haven't ever read Terry Pratchett, oh boy, I'm so excited to introduce you to him uh, via my review. Um, All right, Andrew, how about you? Would you like to hear your chosen ding? You know what, Toby? I think I, I think, uh, I think I would. Okay. Random number generator. Number 92, Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. So I am nervous because this is a bit longer, but I'll make it. You're also picking a lot of books that I have abandoned. I've abandoned this one too. Oh no. But I do know, I know a lot of people who love this book. I think I'm on the outside of this one. Um, so this one's like Cromwell and co, right? Yeah, it's listed as Thomas Cromwell number one. That's pretty much all I know about it. So I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm very excited. I trust you to review it for me. As in like, I don't know. Tell me if I was wrong to abandon it or not. Who knows? Maybe I'll pick it up after your review. Yeah. Hey, that's what the point of this podcast is. Giving things a chance that have uh, otherwise sort of languished in shelf land, which is another stop on the Uh, the Surrealism Surrealism (laughs) Express. Yes. (laughs) The surrealist train. Yeah. Um, Well, that's great. So, well, we're going to be back in two weeks with Bailey at the helm again. None of our shoddy leadership. She will be reading White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. And I will be reading Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please use your podcast rating app of choice, (laughs) Apple iTunes, um, to rate and review us uh, with five stars and then write us a review because actually it uh, it makes a difference if you write a review as well as rate it five stars, Um, not only to the people who you know, the algorithm, it makes a difference to our hearts, to our little bookish hearts. So please do it. And also, if you don't have it in your cold, cold heart to give us a review and a rating, why not just try telling a friend who you think might be interested? If you have a bookish friend who you have been looking for an excuse to talk to, give them a Zoom call and say, hey, check out this podcast. It would really help us. Word of mouth is our best way of finding uh, new listeners. So thank you. Yeah. Schedule a Zoom call with your friend. (laughs) That's all we're asking. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. Thanks to Toby for co-hosting the podcast with me, for us for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.